Well, guys, tonight, uh, Galatians, we are going to officially start Galatians. We've done two weeks of an introduction. Um, before we get there, though, this morning around 4 o'clock, I woke up, and I was just kind of thinking, and, and something just... I, the craziness of this world, the delusion of this world was kind of going through my mind and something just stuck at me and I thought I'd kind of maybe share and see if you guys had any, any input. But I was looking or thinking about Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians rather, uh, chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. It says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. And what came to my mind was this. What's the lie? It wasn't lies, plural. Lie. That God sends a strong delusion that they will believe the lie. I thought, hmm. Now, is it just that God doesn't exist? Well, it seemed like they were already there. Because these are people, because they refuse to love the truth, because they refuse to believe in Jesus, they believe a lie. And it's a strong delusion. Because I was just thinking, our world is in a strong delusion right now. And I am not teaching that this is the lie, but I'm wondering... Is what we're seeing in America right now, is this the lie that leads to, you know, the Antichrist? Um, and it says, again, that's the context of this there in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one. It will be in accordance with the work of Satan. In speaking on creation, obviously throughout the years have just thought, I, I don't understand how people cannot see God in creation. I, I don't understand that. But I understood it to be a spiritual battle. And what's going on now with what people are believing, it's just, it's, it's notched up to where people are truly delusional right now. So anyway, it was just a thought that I had this morning. I just thought, so that they believe the lie. I, What's the lie? Yeah, what is the lie? So you can ponder that. All right, Galatians 1, uh, in kind of just reminding you a little bit about what we talked about last week and kind of finishing it out. But like I said, we are going to cover a good chunk of Galatians 1 tonight. Um, probably maybe even get into chapter 2, but we'll see. In Acts chapter 15, we've been talking about the Jerusalem Council. And here it said, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas. Uh, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, 
Now I'm going to kind of just stop there for a second and we'll pick up, but it's important to note that this was to Antioch because this is where the problem began, this whole idea about circumcision. And so what they're going to do is they're going to send Barnabas and Silas basically to the same place to take care of the problem. And so just note Antioch for now. And Judas and Silas were prophets. We see that in Scripture. And so they were highly revered. And so we're not talking about sending the B team. They are sending the A team to take care of this issue of circumcision. So remember, Acts 15, this entire Jerusalem council is about that issue of circumcision. And that is vital to understand Galatians. That's why we have spent so much time looking at this. Um, so it goes on then, and it says that they wrote this letter by them. What letter? It's not the book of Acts. It seems to be maybe even the book of Galatians in essence, or second Galatians, or whatever you'd call it, because this letter is going to the people in Galatia. So Acts 15 is talking about the people of Galatia. That's where all of this is stemming around. So the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch. Note that as well. This is going to the Gentiles because the whole issue is it's the Gentiles that are being circumcised and they were upset about it. I cannot um, stress enough what a shock this was for the church for Gentiles to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. This is like huge... I mean, I don't think there could have been a bigger issue at that time. And so it goes on to uh, Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Now this is a verse that we see that is used against people like me who believe the law is still valid. Because they will look and say, see, they're writing letters saying that it's wrong to get circumcised and keep the law. That is not what this is saying. If it was, just like we've talked about before, did Paul disagree with Jesus? then we've got a contradiction in Scripture because Paul says over and over, the law is good. Do we then nullify the law? No, we uphold the law. The law is holy, righteous, and good. So you can't be saying he's getting rid of it if he says we uphold it. So we have to be consistent with the Scriptures. So what is the issue with this? Well, it's kind of interesting where it says you must be circumcised and keep the law. The way that is worded uh, about keeping the law of 25 different translations of Scripture, it only appears in nine of them. And so it's not there. Now, it is not in the Latin Vulgate, 
which, mind you, the Latin Vulgate was the leading Bible for a thousand years. All right? Um, the older manuscripts, it was not in. Now, we're not going to debate whether it's supposed to be in there or not, because I think it doesn't make any difference, because if it's not supposed to be in there, problem solved. If it is supposed to be in there, context explains it. Because he's not saying that you should not be circumcised, or rather that you have to be circumcised, and that you should not keep the law. It's combining them, and in the Greek it makes sense of that you have to be circumcised according to the law. In other words, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I understand why these Pharisees were going and saying, hey, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Why? Because you go back to Genesis 17, and it said that you must be circumcised there in verse 13. In verse 14, it says that if you're not circumcised, you are to be cut off from God's people, because you have broken God's covenant. The law said you had to be circumcised. And now Paul is stepping in and saying, you don't have to be circumcised. Well, like we said last week, Paul wasn't just changing God's rules. Paul understood that the Old Testament was the New Testament concealed. And he was now revealing it because we saw in Deuteronomy, he says that you are to have your hearts circumcised, which is exactly what Paul is going to be teaching. Paul will continue to teach the law, Torah, but he's giving the meaning of the Torah, an understanding of it. Okay? So, my point, though, is that with this verse, you must be circumcised and keep the law. It's just meaning keep the law of circumcision. That's what these Pharisees or Judaizers or whatever you'd call them are out teaching. That you must be circumcised in keeping the law. Like it said. Alright? So whether or not it's supposed to be there or not, I don't think matters. I think either way, it makes sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense is to say you're getting rid of the law because now you got contradictions. This way there are none. Now in Genesis 4.9, just to kind of remember here as well, uh, it says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then is it accounted, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That can't be Genesis 4.9. I think that, that's Romans 4.9 there, I think. Um, because in Romans, it's talking about Abraham was justified by faith. Not by being circumcised. Not by keeping the law. Yeah. So, not by keeping the law. He says, was he considered righteous before he was circumcised or after? And he says, not after, but before. 
He was righteous before this, so therefore these people who are going and saying you have to be circumcised to be saved, that doesn't even fit what the Old Testament says in Genesis. Therefore, when you're reading that you, if, you ha, you know, if you're going to be cut off from God's people, that you must be misunderstanding something there. All right, and that's exactly what was happening. There was a misunderstanding by the Jews about what circumcision did. Verse 11 continues in Romans, and he, meaning Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who are circumcised? No. Who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So circumcision was simply a sign and a seal of righteousness. In other words, a seal of ownership. And that's kind of how the Greek would, would show it. So that's the, the context, and that's what I want you to see. I think we've kind of talked about that enough, but it's important for the context as we start here again. I do want to show you a commentary here, the Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges, um, showing you that this isn't like a strange teaching that I'm showing you that the context of Acts 15 was only about circumcision. Because here's what it says. Ye must be circumcised and keep the law. The oldest authorities omit the Greek of these words, which look somewhat like a marginal explanation that has crept into the text, especially as to keep the law in an expansion. Though, of course, a correct one of the statement made in Acts 15.1 about the teaching that was given. There, circumcision alone is mentioned at the point, as the point on which disturbance was created. In other words, circumcision in the, keeping the law, the whole context of that is only in regards to circumcision in the context here. But I've had many people point out acts here telling me that the law has been done away with. That's not the context of Acts 15. So, um, if you understand that, that's going to help you understand what we see in Galatians. Now, here in Acts 15, I want to show you, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 24 we see that they were unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. In other words, we are seeing a connection here. A custom of Moses is keeping the law, connecting the two, saying keeping the law has nothing to do with all the Ten Commandments or anything else. It has the custom of Moses in circumcision. That's the context from verse 1 to verse 24 there. So, Romans 2, verse 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Wait a minute. If Paul is saying get rid of the law, here's a contradiction. 
Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you're free from the law. But yet that's often what is taught. So just be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So going back to Acts 15.25 to just kind of finalize this connection here with Galatians. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. Four, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Notice the Holy Spirit is given mentioned first. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And we talked about this last week. You abstain from food offered to idols, blood, strangled animals, and sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. So, this, as we talked about last week, I think there's a new Sanhedrin now. Whereas it used to be all these Pharisees and Sadducees, God has now established the apostles and James as the new Sanhedrin. And it's, they're saying it's not just us saying these words, even though the Bible gives them that authority. Right? Back in Deuteronomy. But he says the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one guiding and leading here. And they're basically saying that you need to first purify the temple so that he can live in that temple. As we talked about last week, all of those things that are mentioned are things that defile the temple, the body. It goes on in verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So, chapter 15 concludes after this whole debacle, coming up with a ruling and writing a letter to send to them in Antioch, saying, we're going to send you a letter, but Paul and si or, uh, Silas and Barsabbas are also going to go in person by word of mouth. He says, then let us go and see how things are going in the same places that we preached before. Where is that? Chapter 16 then explains where. He came to Derbe and Lystra. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So notice that all of those towns mentioned are where? Galatia. So, in other words, the whole topic here in Acts 15 is about these churches in Galatia. The whole topic has been about circumcision. So therefore, that context of circumcision must translate into the book of Galatians. Like I said, that's why I spent so much time on it, because it is very important to understand that context for the book of Galatians. Otherwise, you read Galatians out of context, you can make it say anything you want. So, let's get into it. Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ 
and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul never misses an opportunity to say Jesus is God. And so right out of the gate, that's what he's saying. Again, would have been revolutionary thinking at this time. But this is how he begins. Um, and he's saying this is not from men. This is not my words or some human understanding. This is coming from the Spirit of God, from Jesus Christ himself, the Word of God. All and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now you know who they are. Grace to you and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Yeah. The world has always been evil. Always. Paul is living in a time where the Romans are in control. Many people thought the Messiah was going to come and take over the, you know, conquer the Romans and start the kingdom right there. Um, that, you know, the church was going to rise up. There are still people today who teach the same thing. That we are... Uh, basically waiting for things to get better and better and better, and the kingdom of God is here now, and then evil is getting less and less and less. And so what's going to happen is we're going to just simply move into the millennial kingdom by being more obedient to Christ. Verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Sound familiar? Right there in Acts chapter 15, going back to verse 2, it's almost exact. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you. Okay? And it says, some who trouble you, here in Galatians, with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to which we gave no commandment. That would be a perversion of the gospel of Christ. So he's coming out of the gate harsh. You know, here he is. I'm sure Paul was highly revered. They get the letter in the mail, the, you know, and they're like, oh, a letter from Paul. And they're all excited to read this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, smack you in the face that you are believing in something that is not a gospel at all. He's not mincing any words. He's getting right to the point. This is the issue of Galatians, that there are those teaching another gospel, something other than by faith alone. So um, you can see the connection, as I said there, between uh, Acts 15 and Galatians 1 opening up. But what I want you to understand as well, why in the first century, if you were a Gentile, and you heard about this Jesus guy, 
why would you even consider being circumcised if you were a man? That is not something we're going to be like, hey, sign me up, that sounds like fun. Why would you do it? You have to be so manly convinced. And what would convince you? And how would that be, how would they prove that? Oh, you would have, that's your proof of your salvation. They would prove it from the scriptures, from the Torah, from oh. Genesis, right? My point is, like you said, the only reason you would get circumcised is if you were taking Torah seriously. As a Gentile, for, for you to go through something as drastic as that, you must have been convinced that we should be following what God's Old Testament says. These people who even understood the gospel. Because like I said, the Pharisees, these other guys are coming in saying, look, here's what the Torah says. You've got it. Well, that makes sense to me. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what that means. But, but you it can... it has been that it, to them for however many years. <laughs> exactly. And so... The expectation of a Gentile church at this point was to take the law seriously. So if the law wasn't being taken seriously at this time, there's no reason they would have been getting circumcised. Does that make sense? And I think that's important to understand. It is one of his most urgent gospels. And the reason being is because it was another gospel that you had to do this in order to be saved. And Paul's other Gospels talk about that, like we just showed you in Romans 4, that Abraham was righteous without circumcision. But we can see that the, the Gentiles here wanted to honor God. They wanted to honor the law and the Torah. The problem was not with Torah or the law. The problem was with their understanding of it. And I'm going to propose that's the same thing with many Christians today. The problem isn't in the law. The problem is in your understanding of the law. It can't just be because of what our hearts are. If my heart is I want to honor God, so I'm going to go kill people because I think they're ungodly, that's just unbiblical. And so it can't just be that. It has to be what Scripture says. And so it's more where Scripture said it, but Paul is saying, now listen. There's an understanding of this. Let me explain it to you. Because the Pharisees had built up a Nicene Council. Let me put it that way. When the Nicene Creed came about, the Nicene, the Church of Nicene, or not Church, but the, the Nicene Council in the 300s, what happened is we had all these church leaders come from all over the place, and they gathered together, and they established church doctrines. And ever since then, those doctrines now have interpreted the Bible for you. They said, this is what the Bible means. This is what this means. And so in essence, what happened is we kicked the Holy Spirit out of the church. Because then, from then on, what happened is, rather than reading the Bible and letting Scripture interpret Scripture and allowing the Spirit to work, we have the church to tell us what the Bible means. That's where the Catholics are. That's where the Jews are. That's where the Pharisees were at that time as well. The, the Jewish church that did not know Jesus at that time had established all these rules and explanations of what Torah meant 
to where there was no room for the Holy Spirit to, to, to understand it. It doesn't matter what we want. What matters is what God says to do, regardless of whether we understand it or not. We just trust him. You're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that with the food laws and things like that, is there a spirit behind it that we're understanding? So we're just doing the rote letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And I can see that that's the difficulty of understanding these things is to know like what is the letter and what is the spirit of each one of these things. Each one of these things, like well, circumcision isn't yeah. the thing we're supposed to follow, so why is food law and not circumcision? Yeah. You know I mean? like, and the like, answer is this. Scripture answers it. When it comes to circumcision, we see Scripture, the Holy Spirit, as Acts 15 said, showed us from Torah that the law would be written on our hearts. When it comes to food laws, there are no scripture verses in the Old Testament saying that there would be a spirit behind that not to do it. And not only that, we see the New Testament church even commanding, don't eat blood, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. We see Paul himself, Peter, and all of them never ate unclean food, which is why when the Peter had his vision of the sheep being lowered. He's like, no, Lord, I've never let anything unclean touch my lips. If Jesus had taught them it was okay, they would have been like, well. But they did say that. Peter eats with the Gentile. Not unclean food, though. He eats with them. To a Jew, you could not even enter a Gentile home because they were considered unclean. And the whole point of the sheet coming down was to explain not food, but Gentiles are now being welcomed in. I don't have all the answers, but I do on some of them because the Bible is clear about it. And so I start with those. In Hebrews, God only changes the law when he says he's going to change the law in the Old Testament. Right. Like with the priesthood and the tabernacle and all of that. Um, that's something that stuck out to me reading the Bible last month and then I'm going through it again now is there's three times in the Old Testament where he talks about circumcising your hearts which is a foreign concept then because they had the physical circumcision but it's twice in um, Deuteronomy and once in Jeremiah he talks about the Lord will circumcise your hearts and it's um, the context of after you've been scattered to the nations after you've gone out so it's this you know period of once Jesus comes, then you know the Gentiles have the circumcision internally of yeah. their hearts. So it's that you know he he leaves a witness for himself. It's that um, the testimony of two or three witnesses mm -hmm. throughout the Old Testament, saying I'm going to do this new thing that doesn't make sense now, but it will after the Messiah comes. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. If you recall, when we did do Hebrews, we said you can't just change the law. And that's what this whole thing, it's, a, it's an exact thing of how can you say we don't need these sacrifices anymore? Because Torah said there would be a time coming when that law would change. And those are the only laws that get to change are the ones that Torah said would change. Circumcision is one of them. The sacrifice, Jesus being that sacrifice, is one of them. We don't see that with these other things. Yeah, all those have been up the last 
Yeah. So we're going to learn, and that's one of the reasons I love the Feast of Tabernacles, is because that's what it looks forward to when Jesus will come and the law will go out from Mount Zion. He will teach us what this is all about. He'll clear it up. Yep. So, and, and if you think about it, the devil is constantly trying to twist the scriptures. Um, even when Jesus was being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, remember the devil even used scripture. He just took it out of context. Okay? And that is exactly what these Pharisees are doing. Okay? Again, it might look like I'm picking and choosing. I'm not. It's what Scripture says, new and old, that circumcision changes. The sacrifice changes. Food laws don't change. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is like damned to hell. This is not just, you know, be a, you know, shoved out the door. We're talking cursed to eternal damnation. If you think about a couple of religions here that we have today, Mormonism. How did Mormonism start? Yeah, there was an angel called Moroni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Moroni. God didn't put this in Scripture, having we or an angel from heaven, because it wasn't ever going to happen. He warned us. Islam happens the same way. Church of Scientology, pretty much the same way. There are many false religions that have started today because of what appear to be angels, good people, here to help you. You can even look at alien abductions today and have the same thing, believe it or not. Because when you go to these MUFON conferences and whatnot, they have all these kind of people that will give testimonies that they've been abducted and their abductees are, or abductors, are saying we're here to help you and I in my message on do aliens exist I give quotes of people saying things and and what they say in their messages and their messages literally are things another way to be saved or um, uh, they've got global warming green, uh, green peace type climate change warnings and we're, we're like I said we're here to help you um, it, it's just some of them even say they used to work with Jesus it's easy to read this as if oh well that's just you know words no this he was warning that that would happen and that's why you don't do seances that's why you don't do Ouija boards that's why you don't do those things because I'm telling you there is a spirit realm fallen angels that will teach you something and that's exactly what happened back in the days of Enoch. Uh, when we see uh, the book of Enoch talks about it, Genesis 6-4 talks about it, how the angels came down, and what did they do? They taught them chant enchantments, spells, cutting of roots, all of those kinds of things. Pharma, yeah, drugs. So 
This is not unusual. It is common. It happens. Um, the other thing is, uh, as I mentioned it before, but the book God's Calling, Jesus Calling, remember the, the devotional book, Jesus Calling? Uh, we listened to a podcast that had a lady on there talking about the New Age connection to Jesus Calling. The lady who wrote that book, Jesus Calling, was very influenced by a book called God's Calling, and God's Calling was basically written by a bunch of people going sitting on a hill and then hearing from God so that it... Now, listen, listen to the podcast and decide for yourself. I mean, yeah, don't it, just take our word for it. Like, really just listen to it and go... I mean, it... Yeah. But nonetheless, God's Calling has New Age roots and she was inspired by that, and that's where Jesus' calling comes from. So, New Age influences. But it's all over, and this is why it's so important, and I've been harping on this for years and years and years, with like the Message Bible. How churches should, pastors should not be using the Message Bible. And the reason being is because it's got New Age roots to it. Uh, we have, um, I always want to say Rick Warren, but it's not Rick Warren. Um, Warren Smith. Uh, I spoke at a conference where he was speaking as well, and he wrote a book called Deceived on Purpose back when we had um, Purpose Driven Church and all of those kind of things were coming out. And he had gone through a course on miracles with Oprah Winfrey and all of these people that are the same people who wrote the Message Bible. And that's why in the Message Bible you have phrases from the new age that are identical in the Lord's Prayer, the way that it's written. And so I hate the Message Bible because of those new age roots that are in it. It is, I just, those kind of subtle changes may not seem much like when it first comes out and some crazy guy like I am saying, hey, that's the evil Bible, don't use that Bible. Yeah, whatever, Brian, whatever. But you know what? 20 years down the road, it's affected you. We have to guard that because of this very type of thing. Doctrines are important, and we have to protect them. At the very least, go check out like Warren Smith's book, Deceived on Purpose, and you'll see those, those connections that, that have crept in. I don't know, you'll have to... Messed up church. Yeah. So, Deuteronomy 17, verse 8. Uh, I want to show you that in the Old Testament, the Torah commanded to listen to the word only. It says, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge, and we kind of talked about this before, between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, between one punishment for another, and so on, any matter of controversy, you were to go up to the place the Lord chose, and then the priests and the Levites would make a decision. We talked about that already here a week or two ago, in that that's why they went to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. There was a matter of controversy, and so the new priests and Levites are the apostles. And that wasn't just because they decided to be. Jesus, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, said he was giving them authority. Jesus himself. All right? But I want to pick up in verse 11, where it continues saying, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you. They didn't get to just decide, well, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. Well, I think this and I think that. 
it was all based on what scripture said where they would come up with their interpretations. So when the Jerusalem council is deciding to do this and to not do that, it isn't because of who's in charge. It's that these people know scripture and according to the law, that's how they come up with their determination. So is it your opinion that the Nicene council is bad? I'm not saying everything the Nicene council did was bad, but yes. Overall, I think the Nicene Council and all those other councils got us going off on the wrong trails. Yeah, I've got a book that I could give, give you guys if you're interested in reading a little bit more about some of that kind of stuff too. But yeah, it kicked the Holy Spirit out of the church and it, it said, here's what you're going to believe. And now Catholics, even the Jews, are in the same place. Like I said, I can go to a Jew and show them Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and say, look, Yeshua was the Messiah. And they say, no, that's Joseph. You read that, there's no way that's Joseph that they're talking about. But it doesn't matter. That's what the rabbi said. The rabbi said it was Joseph. So, okay, it's Joseph. You go to a Catholic. It doesn't matter. You can give them straightforward evidence right from Scripture. It doesn't matter. My priest says this. The priest is the authority. Your rabbi is the authority. And it shouldn't be that way. And that's kind of what it is. If you're a Lutheran, doesn't matter. The catechism says this. If you're any other denomination, no, John Calvin said this. Martin Luther says this. John Wesley says this. But the point of this council is to go to the word says this. Period. And that they were the ones that were able to establish. It says according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce to you. Now, by the way, the apostles then said, one of the most important things you guys can do is don't eat food with blood in it, don't eat food from strangled animals, don't uh, you know, keep yourself pure from sexual immorality, and yet, that means then that we should not steer from the right or the left of that. That's Acts 15. So, don't listen to angels that are going to teach you things that contradict, or church fathers, that are going to contradict the Word of God. That's what it's saying. Verse 10, For, I, or, for do I now persuade men or God... Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I love this verse. And this is one that I use to remind myself many times when I open my mouth when I really don't want to. If I should yet seek to please Christ, I should not be a servant of Christ Jesus. If I'm trying to please you and not offend you because... I want you to like me, or I want you to continue coming to Bible study, or whatever, shame on me. I should not be a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm here to speak truth, and if that means nobody likes me, so be it. I should not be a people pleaser. And unfortunately, the way we have set up church today has forced us to become people pleasers. Because 
If you leave, there goes the money. And we got to keep the doors open. We got to keep, keep the heat on. Now, I'm not saying all churches are like that. I'm not saying that there aren't really good churches that are preaching truth. What I'm saying is that the system we've set up promotes this. It promotes us to be people pleasers. And this is why you can even find people preaching messages about Christ that are true, but that's it. They won't teach the whole, so they'll teach nice things. Jesus is love. He died on the cross for your sins. The gospel, good. But we'll never address homosexuality. We'll never address the law because that's going to be offensive. And so some of the problems of some churches that are out there is not what they're teaching, it's what they're not teaching in order to please people. So do we not follow God's law? This is only a question that only you can ask. But do you not follow God's law because you're afraid of what people might think of you? That you might be considered weird? If so, let Galatians 1.10 be committed to memory. Verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which, I was, which, I, which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the inspiration of God. Paul is saying, these are not my words. This is from God. Now, he is one of the few who can say that. The guys who wrote Jesus' calling, God's calling, I mean, can't say that. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nations, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, some people will equate this with the law. Traditions and the law are completely different. The Tachanot are the traditions of men. And this is what Paul is saying. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I went beyond the law, even to the traditions of men. And churches have those today. I mean... All, probably every denomination has some kind of tradition of man that if you do, you're going to be in trouble in your church because you know, maybe it's just if you come with holes in your jeans. You know, that's a tradition of men. Maybe it's whether you bow when you go up towards the altar or not. Maybe it's whether the pastor has a collar on or not. These are all traditions of men. We are just as much Pharisees today as there were Pharisees back then. All these man-made rules, and some of them even ungodly rules. But Paul was zealous 
for the traditions of his fathers. And it continues and it says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now this is a very important point. Paul is saying this. I didn't go to man to get the answers. I went to the Word of God, to Jesus himself. And that's where this, these answers are coming from. When you don't understand something, where do you go? Now, if you go to a man who that man is going to you know, reveal Scripture to you and point out Scripture, I, that's fine. I'm not saying you can't do that. But what I'm saying is, if you want to know somebody who is a good friend to go get advice from, if you can go to them and they say, I think this and I think that, and you might want to consider this and you might want to consider that and there's no scripture, that's fine. They might be good friends. They might be good. It might even be good advice overall. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I try to go to people who will give me biblical counsel that says, well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. Because that's where the answers are going to be. Now, I understand there are certain things that, you know, the Bible doesn't deal directly with. But I'd say for the most part, there are some pretty good guidelines that Scripture gives us. And that has to be our guide. That is where I landed when it came to my brother and homosexuality. I went all my life hearing pastors say, well, you've got to keep the communication lines open. You know, if you don't keep the communication lines open, how is he going to hear the word? You know, that sounds like good advice, but that was not biblical. Scripture was telling me, if anyone calls himself a brother, a Christian, which he did, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an adulterer, any of these sins, with such a man do not even eat. That was scripture. But no pastor ever gave me that. They didn't give me scripture, they gave me psychology. They gave me emotions. Well, I finally decided I've got to be obedient to God's word and I'm going to trust God. He says, hand this man over to Satan so that his soul may be saved on the last day. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. Does that mean you don't love him? No, I absolutely love him. But I also can't chum around with him. Because I have to be separate. Because he calls himself a brother, a Christian. So, even James, a pillar of the church, Paul didn't go up to him to find out. If it would have been me, I can tell you right now, had lightning struck me off of my donkey, I'd have been like, okay, I, I, these apostles that I'm persecuting, they must know something. I want to go find out more about it. It's not what Paul did. That just amazes me. He didn't go up to Jerusalem until 14 years later. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up, oh, three years, 
I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. The 14 is coming up. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So, after three years, by the way, this is why we believe that Paul, and uh, there's another verse that kind of backs us up, after his conversion, spent three years with Jesus. Because he basically says the Lord taught him these things. And this is one reason why Paul's words hold, hold so much weight and why it's important to study this. But after that, he was three years with Jesus, and then he goes up and he sees Peter. Well, why Peter, we'll see later. There's kind of a special brotherhood between these two. But that's what he does. So chapter 2, verse 1. Then, after 14 years, here was my 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Keeping the context of Acts 15 and Galatians. 14 years after, I th either after his conversion or after the three years, I don't know but I think after the 14 years of, of his conversion, he's going to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Why? Because of this idea of circumcision. He's taking with Titus with him. Because look here in Acts 15 too. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, remember he says here in Galatians, he went to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others, like Titus, according to Galatians here, of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question, this question of circumcision. And so, this seems to be talking about the same thing. Here, within that 14-year period, he is in the churches of Galatia. Then he goes to Jerusalem. And then after that, he's going to go back to Galatia again. It says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. So here we have a Gentile. Shocker. What? Shocker. Well, yeah. I mean, why would, I mean. From a, a worldly physical perspective, yeah. But from a spiritual perspective, what he's saying is, is not even Titus, even having heard all of this, was compelled. He knew he didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Because he was in the midst of all of this hearing that. So here's the timeline that I wrote down. 
Paul is saved. Three years in the wilderness with Jesus. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes on a missionary journey. He goes back to Jerusalem 14 years after that conversion. He's at the Jerusalem Council. Then he goes to Galatians a second time. And then later, he, he, after that, then he writes another letter to check in on them. Galatians 2.4 And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So they did not back down once. On what? Not the law, but the law of circumcision only. Okay, keep that in mind. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about anything but circumcision as a means of salvation. So, again, guys, even if I would be teaching you that you have to keep the law to be saved, that is another gospel other than Jesus Christ. And I hope that I've never given you that impression. I say over and over and over again, but sometimes the devil likes to get in there and make it sound like Brian Young is teaching you that you have to keep these laws to be a Christian. That's not what Brian Young is teaching. Brian Young is teaching that you will keep these laws. I'm teaching you that you should have a heart to keep these laws because you are saved, not to be saved. I'm teaching you exactly what is in line with what Scripture says. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And so, kind of the same thing with circumcision. Not that you have to be circumcised, but rather there's going to be a circumcision of your heart that causes you to want to obey the law of God. But not in order to be saved. You can't. You can't keep the law to be saved. You will fail every time. Guaranteed. And you will perish if that's how you're trying to get to heaven. Guaranteed. That's right. Yep. Yep. And so, if I was teaching, you had to, I'd be in the same place as these Judaizers here. And I know that there are going to be some people who are going to put me in that camp. But I don't think they've listened to all of the messages either. All right, verse 6. Getting close to wrapping up here. But from these who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. In other words, the Gentiles, I was sent to the Gentiles, Peter was sent to the Jews. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, the Jews, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles or the uncircumcised. So, even Paul, however, even though he was called to be a Gentile to the Jew, or to uh, a Gentile to the Jew, 
an apostle to the Gentile, he always went to the Jew first. As you read his letters, he always goes to the Jew first. The Jews would always reject him, and then he would take it to the Gentile. Which, by the way, is also what Romans says, that the gospel is to be preached to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Which I find interesting. Is that the method of the church today? We preach to the Gentile first, and if the Jews care, maybe then we'll talk to them. But otherwise... Yes, yeah, yeah, and then we will do it about a very Gentile Jesus, that's right. Otherwise, we'll just sweep them under the rug and not even care about them, or be very anti-Semitic and hope that we have nothing to do with them. But Romans says that there will be glory, honor, and peace given first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, but trouble and distress for those who disbelieve, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So not only does judgment begin first for the Jew, but the gospel goes first to the Jew. But we have boasted over the branches and said, forget you, it's our church. Anyway, so my point being is Peter preached to the Gentiles too, but his main ministry was to the Jew. Paul preaches to the Jews too, but his main ministry was to the Gentiles. That was their main calling. Different arms of ministry, just like we have different arms of ministry today. There are a lot of great ministries out there, and we need one another. It doesn't mean you're locked in to only do that, but you're going to have a focus. That's the body of Christ. Verse 9, to wrap up here, 9 and 10. And when James, Cephas, and John, who had seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, to the Jews. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So even James, the Nasi, the ruler, the leader of the church, the early church, it says basically gave him the right hand of fellowship. That wasn't just a blessing. It's, it's more than that. That's, it's saying we stand with you, we support, we believe, and we, we agree with what you teach. And that they would be fighting alongside and with them. So, like I said, they're fighting together, but just using different arms of ministry, but with the same teachings. And that's what we need to be doing today. There's going to be different arms of ministry, and we need to fight together with them. Not to be against the churches, but to stand up for those who are holding to truth. To encourage others to stand on the truth. But there should be some sort of unity in truth. And that means there are some churches that I will not be able to stand with. Can't. Just because a church has got the title Christian doesn't mean it is a Christian church today. So, anyway, that is, so far, I mean, this is the easy part of Galatians. Uh, we're not going to take as big of a bite. We'll probably only do six or seven verses next week. But now you have the context. And hopefully that is helpful. Lord, thank you uh, again for your word and for the gift of grace.
Father, let us never teach any gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, by salvation, the salvation by faith and grace alone. And Lord, may that very truth move us to obey you, move us to want to understand and know you more. And so teach us, Lord, come back and let the law go out from Zion to clear it all up for us. In Jesus' name, amen.